Hello, my dear Heart to Heart with the Earth podcast family. It's so good to be with you today. I'm sitting on the porch after having given Rasky a bath and the oaks have been in full action releasing acorns of all sizes and I'm feeling especially grateful today um, being fresh out of the hospital. It was a big experience uh, for me and I feel like in some ways it might be a sort of initiation and so I'm just sitting with it and attuning to the messages um, and the gifts of this episode and I really look forward to sharing that with you at the right time. But in the meantime, I've been healing and um, those of you who have heard um, about me being in the hospital and who have reached out to me and sent me your love and good energy and healing thoughts, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, they have been so appreciated. I have felt cared for and included and like I am a meaningful, meaningful part of your life. So thank you for that. The people who know that I went through this have also been handling me with care as I find myself in a very tender-hearted space. And that has been a beautiful experience in and of itself. Oh my goodness, what a gift. How nice would it be if we could handle each other with more care? How beautiful would it be if we just assumed tender-heartedness in each other in the way that we show up for people we know very well, for people who we don't know at all, for people who we just come across in our everyday lives. What, what a difference this would make. It reminds me of those signs. I saw this sign at one point um, recently. It said something like, you know, it didn't say handle with care, but it said something like, please be patient, driver in training, or something like that. Yeah, and of course, like you imagine this teenager learning how to drive, of course you're going to be extra careful around them. So I kind of want to walk around with like a sticker saying tender-hearted, handle with care. Ah, So today is our ninth episode of Heart to Heart with the Earth. And 
if you have been on my email list for a while, you know that I've been sending sometimes regular and sometimes not so regular uh, emails of nine things that are keeping me heart to heart with the earth, nine things that are keeping me close to nature. And so for our ninth episode, I thought that I would share that. This is the list that I wrote before I went in into the hospital and it's uh, insightful for me to read it for you in this light. I didn't realize that my mic wasn't quite plugged in correctly, so there might be a change in sound now. But here we are. Okay, so so these are some of my notes. Hello, my dear friends. It's good to be with you during these devastating times of so much heartache. In many ways, these utterly painful days have reminded me of the importance of nature practice, of staying heart to heart with the earth, of deepening our relationship with the land, of filling ourselves with the nurturing and the nourishment and care that nature has for us. When we do that, we become intimate with the preciousness of the flow of life. We become more tender towards this flow, but also more courageous in protecting it. Not just for us or, and for our loved ones, but for all of humanity and also for our more than human kin. When we live in a way that is heart to heart with the earth, we come back into sacred reciprocity with life. And then this relationship is reflected in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions toward ourselves, towards each other, towards our more than human kin, and towards the earth. Thank you for being here with me today. I'd like to share nine things that are keeping me heart to heart with the earth. Number one, Venus. In the early days of the war, our planetary neighbor woke me up, her bright light shining in my eyes through the window. As I attuned to the energy being shared, these words came through. Venus has been waking me up, insisting that what we are made of is beauty and love, brilliantly piercing gorgeousness from the stars. Saying that in this confusion, what is being called forth for our balance is the essence of our feminine, of our collective feminine flow to restore our humanity, to bring us back into rhythm, back into resonance, back into harmony. Two, some extraordinarily encouraging news from the Winneman Wintu tribe of Mount Shasta. This is a message that was posted on the Run for Salmon Instagram account, which I am just totally overjoyed about. You will know that the Winnemann Wintu tribe is um, 
the tribe of Michael Palm Preston of Mount Shasta, who was my co-director on our film, um, One Word, Sawal Mem. So it's official. Today on Indigenous Peoples Day, our Winneman Wintu tribe got over 1,080 acres of our land back. This is a major victory for us. When California first became a state, there was a government-funded genocide and ecocide that decimated 14,000 of our peoples, stole over 32,000 acres of our ancestral lands in California's largest watershed. The federal government decided we didn't exist. The lands and waters kept pure by our ancestors for thousands of years were bought and sold, and the sacred water of Mount Shasta was dammed and redirected to industrial agriculture to make California one of the richest economies in the world. Today, this land back presents an opportunity for healing and will allow us not only to survive as Winneman Wintu people, but to thrive. In the face of climate change, ecological collapse, pandemics, and lethal wildfires, indigenous-led ecological restoration is key to building real climate resilience. As indigenous peoples, we represent less than 5% of the population, yet we steward over 80% of the world's biodiversity. It's proven that indigenous stewardship of land is the most significant and proven land strategy for climate adaptation. And it's our responsibility to protect life for our children, grandchildren, and future generations. Our efforts are not only for the benefit of the Winneman Wintu, but for all peoples and beings who rely on healthy lands and waters to survive. We hope that by stepping deeper into stewardship of our lands, that we will save our Winnemem worldview, bring our salmon home to the McLeod River, and bring back the cultural burns that will help us all create a climate-resilient future for the next seven generations. We are grateful for the opportunity to bring about this land restoration. Three, creating an altar for Dia de los Muertos. This has been part of my practice for the last 13 years, which I learned from Cristina Cabrera, who was my daughter's teacher. Creating a beautiful place decorated with candles and marigolds and colorful skulls to put the pictures of the ancestors is a ritual that I hold very dearly. Sharing their stories, allows me to honor them on a regular basis. It also helps me stay familiar with the reality of death. And keeping impermanence present allows me to experience and to appreciate the preciousness of life in a way that is more palpable. At first it was a small altar with my grandparents and a few close friends, but with time I have expanded the circle to include more of the people who have touched my life in important ways, even if I never met them personally. This brings me to number four. One of those people who I have added in recent years to my altar is Marshall Rosenberg, 
He developed nonviolent communication as a process for supporting partnership and resolving conflict within people, in relationships, and in society. In the last couple of years, I have been studying and practicing this work quite intensively as a way of resolving a painful conflict that I was experiencing. And through these studies, I have come to appreciate what tremendous value his work brings for people who are interested in living in a nonviolent, peaceful, compassionate way. I've also come to realize the importance of nonviolent communication as nature practice, as a way for us to become more aware of our needs, of each other's needs, and also the needs of the earth, and come into a place where we can address all of those needs more harmoniously. Five. A couple of weeks ago, I had the tremendous privilege of being invited to the sacred reciprocity gathering for Mother Earth with some of the founders of the International Council of the 13 Indigenous Grandmothers, including Grandmother Flor de Mayo of Mayan descent, Unchirita of Lakota descent, as well as some beautiful Maori, Sufi, Hopi, Pueblo grandmothers. For me, it was an opportunity of letting myself be cared for by them and by their message in a way that helped me center and ground back into my peaceful presence, especially at a time when my heart had been absorbing the tremendous collective grief that we have been experiencing. The grandmothers have been expressing the Hopi prophecy that says that when the grandmothers of the four directions speak, the earth will be healed. And when you are in their presence, you're really able to touch the possibility of profound healing in our earth, for which I am just tremendously grateful. Unfortunately, a few days after the gathering, both grandmothers Flor de Mayo, as well as Unchirita, ended up in the hospital with serious surgeries and are now both on a healing journey. So included in all of the links, I'm also going to be leaving a special link to the path where you can donate to support their healing and also support them in the healing work that they do for all of us. Six, this month, which was October, but it's still relevant, of course, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Recently, I came across the work of Dr. Christy Funk, the author of the book called Breasts, the Owner's Manual. In a video presentation she did with the Exam Room podcast, she outlines 12 foods to prevent breast cancer. What was so remarkable for me about this video was that even though her scientific language was sometimes incomprehensible to me, what came through very clearly was her own personal level of wonder and awe about the brilliant ways each one of these 12 plants care for us. 
The foods that she listed are ones that make regular appearances in my dishes, but watching this video gave me a whole new level of appreciation that I can now tap into to make a more meaningful nature practice out of the preparation, the serving, the sharing, and the eating of those meals. Seven, I recently found these statistics, which are of the United States, but I'm pretty sure can be extrapolated to the rest of the world that experiences winter. And that is that 41% of the women and up to 49%, depending on the region, experience a significant decrease in their mood during winter. And I suspect that with everything going on right now, it will probably be worse this season. So if that sounds like you or somebody that you know, I created a free resource that is named Calling in a Better Winter, a gentle guide and calming coloring book for the reluctant. And I will include the link to download it in the show notes. Eight, Diwali. I've been very fortunate to have several opportunities to visit India during my life, to study and to work there and to receive so much goodness from the people and the land. And although I've never been there during the Diwali festival, this holiday is one that I have always felt drawn to. And so this week I had the great pleasure of being in conversation with Dr. Manisha, an acclaimed Ayurveda physician about the healing nature of the festival. And I can't wait for you to hear it. It's a beautiful balm for this time. And it's all about strengthening our inner light through dark times. And for number nine, I'm going to leave you with some words from a nurse. This nurse is Hadley Vlahos author of The In-Between, Unforgettable Encounters During Life's Final Moments. And this is from an interview she did with the New York Times magazine. And um, they asked her, have you thought about what a good death would mean for you? And she said, I want to be at home. I want to have my immediate family come and go as they want. And I want a living funeral. I don't want people to say, this is my favorite memory of her when I'm gone. Come when I'm dying and let's talk about those memories together. There have been times when patients have shared with me that they just don't think anyone cares about them. Then I'll go to their funeral and listen to the most beautiful eulogies. I believe they can still hear it and are aware of it, but I'm also like, gosh, I wish that before they died, they heard you say these things. That's what I want. 
And I guess what I love about that is that, of course, we don't have to wait until we're dying to tell each other why we're important, what we mean for one another, what we celebrate in each other. And it seems to me that there's no better time to light each other up with appreciation in this way. The beautiful artwork that we're featuring on today's episode was created by Cindy Chischili. She is Dene Navajo. She was born and raised in the high desert of Chanto, Arizona, on Diné land, also known as the Navajo Nation. She's the co-founder of White Canyon Design and works as a brand consultant, graphic designer, illustrator, and educator. Cindy is community-driven, bringing awareness of indigenous issues to the forefront of her work. She believes good design can change our world. And the illustration that we're featuring is part of her Snowfall Greeting Card 12-pack, which I have just purchased and I'm absolutely delighted with. It features images of bison, raven, stag, and a woman and dove, all with gold foil, gorgeously uh, presented, and you can find these at eighthgeneration.com, which I will be also linking in the show notes. So there you have it. The crickets have started to sing. The sun has set. Rasky is all dry. (laughs) And I am going to leave you until next time. If you're enjoying this podcast, if you'd like it to reach more earth lovers, naturalists, environmentalists around the world, please leave a rating. We are currently at 22 ratings, I think, and I'm envisioning bringing that to 108 five-star ratings. So let's see if we can make it happen together. I am sending you so much love. Thank you very much. And until next time, stay heart to heart with the earth.